AWE are proud distributors of Sony televisions and home cinema projectors, bringing you the best content from lens to living room. For more information, visit awe-europe.com. Hello everybody and welcome to The Integrated Home, the podcast that's produced by the Home Integration Community for the Home Integration Community. My name is Jeff Hayward and in this episode we get to hear the inside story of another Cedia award winner with the help of Stephen Neverson from Intuitive Homes. The company's Cooper House project won the Best Integrated Home Level 2 award as well as scooping the Excellence in Lighting, Life Lived Best at Home and Technology Meets Design Award 2. Let's find out more. Welcome to The Integrated Home. DBM delivers experiences that go beyond the ordinary and suspend reality. From powerful loudspeakers to state-of-the-art projection systems, and from high-quality processors to exceptional acoustic treatment solutions and screens, DBM partners with pioneering brands, including Barco Residential, Complete Acoustic Treatment Systems, Display Technologies, Trinov, Waterfall Audio and Meridian Audio. We give you the very best high-performance products for your home cinema projects. Like you, we're committed to achieving excellence. Visit distributedbym.com to find out more. Stephen, welcome to the show. Now, before we dive into the multi-award-winning Cooper House project, can you just tell us a bit more about your background and intuitive homes? Yeah, so um, we're a South Manchester-based uh, systems integration company, uh, primarily uh, high-end residential development, um, and we've been going now 12, 13 years, so got quite a few projects under our belt, and, and obviously this Cooper House one's one, been one of our favourites so far. Excellent. And do you do most of the work around Cheshire and the Northwest? Yeah, so in the earlier days, I was willing to go a bit further afield, but obviously as we've, as we've sort of built up more of a reputation and uh, um, been able to choose to, to keep projects more local, really, uh, I think from my point of view and, and seeing how things go over the years, being able to support a project indefinitely has been really important. So making sure that we're relatively close by and can, can react quickly when people need us has been uh, uh, you know, a, a big thing for us. Excellent. And uh, describe the Cooper House project. How did it first come about? Yeah, so um, was first introduced to the clients on this project. It was probably mid-2019 uh, when they were first going through their first um, planning submissions. Uh, so they got their architect's designs and they were putting planning submissions in. And he's actually a friend of an existing client. Um, so I was recommended uh, as someone they should they should have a chat to. Uh, the clients are actually in the construction industry, so they are aware of um, how important it is to, to look at things well in advance, and, and they're really organised and, and wanted to chat about these kind of things. So, yeah, we, we've, we had our first discussion then, and after that, they went through, I think, several sort of planning changes and, and going back to the departments, and we didn't actually have our first meeting, I think, was until... Uh, it was late summer 2020, so it was over a year later, 
um, where they'd got the planning planning accepted, uh, we'd got the initial lockdowns and things like that out of the way, uh, and we got back together with with sort of uh, they'd started on the digging out for the basements there, uh, and they, they were ready to start talking about what was on offer really. So it was a complete new build on a, a fresh site. It was, yeah. I think it was a replacement dwelling, so I think they bought the uh, bought the plot uh, and then sort of levelled the, the the previous house, and then yeah, they, they dug down as a large a large sort of basement. Um, which has uh, sort of a gym and complex and things like that that we can we can talk about. But yeah, so once they once they got got their teeth into that, then they were ready to start thinking about the uh, the electrics and the first fix. Um, and so yeah, we, we managed to get together and have a chat in in plenty of time. So because they were from the construction industry, did they understand the need to get you involved early on in the project? Yeah, and that was what was that was what was great uh, because they were they were really uh, really hot on on having everything planned everything decided the client was really keen just to get get aspects of it signed off and effectively so they could stop thinking about those because they obviously there was there was you know lots of different things that they were they were dealing with and this was this was another another box that they they wanted to understand what was available as I say they, they weren't big technology users and I think one of the first things that they realized was they would need some lighting control because they started to get lighting designs and, and could see the scale of things involved uh, and so lighting control was was one of the important things that they knew they probably needed uh, lots of the rest of the systems I think they started off saying well, we just want to keep things really simple we're not huge technology users um, but let's have a chat about what's possible and, and, and things sort of grew from there so did they open the conversation with you about lighting first or was it all about the audiovisual side of things well no it was it was about uh, it was about lighting control because they already had uh, the lighting designer and the, and the uh, company that were involved that that uh, that were supplying a lot of the fittings things like that they'd already they were already in, in progress with the with with things with them and we'd worked with them before as well which which obviously really helped so we came in with with the the instruction that they knew they were going to need to have some sort of lighting control um and the rest of it i mean all, all i try and do is is explain everything uh, explain what's possible and give them all the information to try and make the the decisions as to what they want so initially uh, we talked about lighting control and, and infrastructure wiring and that was the bit that i was impressing upon them that was really important to get right um, and then as the months went on, we, we talked about a lot of the other options. And when a client says to you, I want to keep it simple, what does that really mean? How do you drill down into what they actually mean by that? Yeah, so I think obviously a lot of that comes down to uh, the user interface, user experience and, and how they are uh, interacting with the systems. So. I get too excited talking about the behind the scenes stuff and can, and can see sometimes that uh, people are glazing over because we're talking about the, the in-depth uh, way that things are, are going to interact and, and all the clever things that we can do. But really, when, when they want to keep it simple, uh, most of the time they, they want to be able to watch TV, they want to be able to listen to music, uh, have some of the convenience features of, of the lighting control and some of the integrations that we can do. Uh, and, and although it can be very complicated behind the scenes, they don't really need to know about that and so if we can if we can handle all of that for them then then that tends to be that sort of a winning combination and talk to me about the budget conversation how did that evolve by the time we came to that first meeting uh, they'd already had detailed QS figures on all of the parts that they were in control of so they, they were building the, the, the property themselves and they obviously had experience in all that kind of things 
they had a figure which I think from memory was probably about I think it was about seventy thousand pounds which which had been allocated by the quantity surveyor which basically just said AV and lighting now the client said this is what we've been given I've no idea if that is anywhere in the right ballpark uh, it might be too much it's, you'll probably tell me it's too little but but that's why we're working to at the start so I I said you know my gut feeling is for what you're going to want for this property that 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 is going to be uh, probably too too small of an amount for everything you're going to want in the end but let's use that as the basis for um, for seeing what you where I would go with that so I use that as my first exercise to go away and say I'll come back and say if you're gonna spend 70,000 pounds this is what I'd spend it on uh, and because often you know when, when meeting with clients and talking about budgets a lot of the time I would say if if they were honest and said this is an exact figure I have to spend I'm not gonna spend a penny more that almost makes my job easier because if I if I knew that they had seventy thousand pounds allocated, that's all they're going to spend, and they say we're not we won't spend any more on AV in the next five years, that's kind of quite freeing because having that constraint, you know, I I've just put myself in their shoes and say, what would I spend my money on if if that was the figure? It it often isn't really you know they might that may, might be a starting uh, gambit of, of what they they feel like they want to spend uh, and and want to see what you can do for that so I went away with that figure and, and basically did did our normal process of of quoting for uh, infrastructure and lighting so the way we we often uh, put our proposals together is I'll split things into design. Uh, infrastructure cabling which has certain uh, sort of provisional sums in for, for the actual cable amounts that are used uh, the infrastructure that's required for the cabling so the patch panels uh, testing termination labeling all that kind of stuff uh, and then the lighting control is obviously based on quantity of lighting circuits quantity of keypads uh, with some uh, variation based on what kind of keypads they might want uh, so I went back and 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 we'd also started talking because lighting was something that they were focused on we had started looking at the actual finishes on on keypads already because we just got in some of the new uh, sort of Lutron Elise uh, demonstration keypads which which they'd seen and, and decided that was what they really liked the look of so I kind of had a steer on what uh, what keypads they were going to need or, or what they were going to want so once we'd gone through with the lighting designs worked out what we felt was realistic for uh, circuit quantities keypad quantities we thought they were probably going to end up needing to spend about 40 or 50 thousand pounds on the lighting system uh, when we then looked into design infrastructure everything like that there wasn't really much left after that from this from this figure that they had so I think I think we ended up with with about seven seven to ten thousand pounds left of their their sort of notional budget that I said right if, if this was a fixed budget what I'd do is I'd do the infrastructure properly I'd do the lighting control properly I wouldn't skimp on those things and then we can perhaps get Wi-Fi uh, a Wi-Fi system in so we use we use Ruckus uh, uh, get a robust Wi-Fi and network infrastructure uh, and then the rest of the money that you have we can we can you know put TVs up and, and that was where we kind of go so it was, it was obvious that they were going to want more than that because they had an area for a home cinema they had they had a gym they wanted multi-room audio you know whilst they said well we, we're not that bothered about this kind of stuff once once we started talking about things it was a case of well yeah I'd really like that and I'd really like this so we then put together um, the way we I put our proposals together is like I say we, we split we split things into design infrastructure lighting and then all the different sections based on 
video distribution, any of the centralized audio systems, uh, access control, and then after that, everything is on a, effectively a room by room basis. So obviously when we're trying to present clients with realistic estimations of what things cost, it's difficult when uh, some of your costs are centralized like video distribution, whether it's eight by eight matrices, or it's obviously it's a bit easy with the, the audio and video over IP systems now, but we kind of work it so that we can we can sit down with the client and, and kind of pick and choose sections and give ballpark estimates as to where we think you know adding various rooms will will bring the costs up and after that we'll go away and, and recalibrate and get fixed costs based on those kind of things so once we knew that we were heading in the right direction that they definitely wanted to go for infrastructure cabling plus the lighting control plus the wi-fi systems that was kind of our first sign-off point where yeah they said okay that sounds great so we we you know we proceeded with the design and proceeded with with cabling um, and then probably over the following I don't know six, six to eight months uh, of up until when the first fix was starting we had many more meetings about the the specifics of, of assorted areas of, of what we could spend any other funds that they had on uh, and it did it did sort of grow organically in terms of you know we, we knew we'd want uh, TVs so we started from sort of TVs in the home cinema and worked back from that uh, and then and all, all the other bits of that kind of fell into place. Excellent okay so in that design what, what were the constraints that you were facing? Aside from cost uh, one of the things so this is probably the largest Crestron home job uh, that we've we've done so far um, I think I, I put Crestron home in at the, on the first lockdown at, at my home to, to test things out and see how it was because obviously historically we've done um, in, in our partnership with Automation we do uh, custom Crestron uh, projects whereas we, we've done a, a few Crestron home jobs now and this is one of the first ones where um, we felt that uh, the constraints that Crestron home put upon us were actually not not a problem in this instance so there was no car turntables there was no uh, sort of um, clever things that we needed to do that we felt we couldn't achieve with Crestron Home and it also again helped on the budget because it, it kind of removed a lot of that um, a lot of the costs that we have on, on custom programming but at the same time we needed to look at what was being specified and what we were requesting from uh, third-party contractors to make sure that it worked with with Crestron Home uh, and I think like I say it was probably it was probably early 2020 when I, I got I think one, probably one of the first MC4s to, to test out at home and we were looking to, to start start with um, customising this job it was probably the end of 2020 start of 2021 so there were things like knowing that we had limitations on what access control systems we could use um, the alarm integration you know there were obviously set manufacturers that had um, that worked with Crestron Home I think obviously being in partnership with Oliver and the team at Automation helped us a lot because they were also working hard on developing drivers and integrations for other manufacturers so one of the areas where we thought we had our eye on for, for being able to make a cost saving for the client was was um, in the video distribution so I think when Crestron Home first came out it was limited to, to only Crestron video distribution systems whereby by the time we actually came to delivering the project we were able to use um, HD anyone on the video distribution to um, to reduce the cost there uh, and so we, we were kind of 
in a constant balancing act of, of what things we could use without overcomplicating things and having to write our own custom integrations in the background. And of course, making sure that everything would work. Exactly, yeah. So I mean, that was one of the reasons why I put Crusher on Home at my own house was to be able to, to live with things and, and test things out. We'd never really want to guinea pig anything on clients. So we, we sort of test things out and live with things ourselves and, and find out, you know, some of the idiosyncrasies or some of the, the things that we can tell clients that, you know, we can't, you know, these are limitations, but especially in this case where the client had no uh, preconceived notions of what they would be able to do, we, we could guide the, the, the design and, and the expectations based on what we knew we could um, deliver and, and you know, give a great experience with. Let's just spell out the key technology choices that you made for this project. Yeah, so uh, we've got we've got Crestron Home as the, the main um, control system. Uh, we've got several of the on-wall 10-inch touch panels uh, in key areas such as uh, kitchen, the gym, uh, there's, there's sort of a man cave, sort of a, a gaming area with, with pool table and bar, um, and then one in the master bedroom as well. Um, so we use uh, Crestron audio distribution, so we're using some of the C2NI amplifiers as opposed to the, the newer NAX um, uh, gear. And again, it was it was we knew that worked really well. We didn't need any of the fancy DSP side of the of the audio distribution. Um, so we used uh, we used Sonos ports for the uh, music uh, integrate uh, for sort of the the music server capabilities. So the client that was one of the things that the client had used before and, and was comfortable with. So we effectively got three Sonos ports. So we had one for each of the each of the clients, the husband and wife, and then one that was allocated to the kids. And we ran that across four of the uh, of the C2NI amps so we got we got 24 zones of audio with just with just three of the Sonos ports and they effectively just pick their pick their use it their name from the the audio sources uh, we used HD anywhere for the video distribution um, we've got uh, sky boxes going into that uh, as well as Apple TVs and the, um, the CCTV goes into there as well um, we've got uh, we've got we've got a local input in the cinema for a games console, uh, which which I'm not even sure if they've been able to get hold of a PS5 yet. We're probably 12 months on and they and they still not got one. Um, and then the lighting controls all Lutron QSX, uh, which is uh, with Elise keypads and it's a it's a Dali uh, based system, which we can probably talk more about. Uh, and then for the handheld remotes on the Crestron system, we use the HR310s. Um, which are the, the remotes, which are just the battery-powered remotes with the engraved buttons. Again, we we looked at the TSRs, which are the, the remotes with the screens on, um, and felt that they probably, you know, we could we could probably do without those for for what the client needed them for. They just wanted a quick remote they could throw down on the sofa, not have to worry about charging. And obviously, we made some some good savings in sort of uh, specking the the more cost-effective remote there as well. Um, we've got two N access control for uh, gate access on two gates, and then we integrated with um, the security specialists have put a Texcom alarm system in, uh, and also uh, a Hikvision uh, CCTV system. So we've got direct IP camera access from the touch panels. Uh, and I think that's about it. Oh, we've got Heatmiser Neo is the uh, heating control system, and then subsequent to the the 
main heating system, we actually have this Mitsubishi air conditioning in uh, in several of the areas, which we integrated with a, a cool master system. And then and then Oliver and the guys at Automation did the clever behind the scenes stuff, which allowed us to bring all that into into a single um, interface for the for the heating. Uh, but I think that's pretty much everything. It's pretty extensive, and the last couple of years have been challenging on a number of fronts. So talk to me about some of the difficulties that you faced on this project as it evolved. I guess supply chain was just starting to get bad, I suppose, uh, when we were we were looking to get the the uh, looking to place orders and things here. But probably credit to the client on this because they were so keen to effectively and they were so organized with regards to signing off on things and wanting to just place orders they were um they were very keen just for us to order things and have it have things sat there ready and waiting so normally i think probably the last 10 years we've been used to being able to do effectively just in time ordering which meant we could leave invoicing clients effectively to the last minute and then we'd say we'd work backwards from the days when we felt we would needed something so we would say right if that's going to take four weeks to do we probably need to have the equipment five weeks before so we'll invoice you six weeks before and then it's up to you you know the sooner you pay the sooner we can start the, the clock on that um we're a lot better at at sort of advanced ordering and things now but but at that point which was you know uh, 18 months two years ago we were probably still naive and thinking that we'd, we'd get things fairly quickly so it was it was probably the client's uh, desire to be invoiced pay for things and, and have us order things that, that really helped us to avoid a lot of the pain points there I think we had some issues with um, with speakers, uh, delivery of speakers, so we were waiting on quite a while on some of those things, and I think some of that was potentially due to uh, changes in, in sort of main distributors. And, and uh, I think one of the one of the issues that we had was the the, the wireless access points that, that we were hoping to get and that we priced for uh, were unavailable, but but the distributor there was was great and, and worked with us to effectively. Give us an upgrade to the to the next model up because they have those in stock and, and help us out on some of the pricing there so so that we could we could offer effectively you know it became a uh, a selling point for the client that we'd, we'd given them better things for the same cost so we were pretty lucky on the job um in terms of supply chain things that, that we weren't we weren't hit too badly i think some of the things with with being considerate about uh where we could have meetings, you know, they had site cabins where where we could have meetings outside there when it was good weather. I know I remember at one point, uh, we, you know, we were having a big meeting where I was I was going on holiday the week after, so I'd asked if we could have it outside just because I didn't want to uh, <laughs> didn't want to jeopardise the family holiday. But other than that, we were, we were pretty lucky that with with how this this job fell um, in in terms of the timing that that we were probably avoided those those sort of uh, painful points of, of the lockdown and things like that uh, where we couldn't be on site and, and, and we might have wanted to be. And from that initial conversation with the QS, how did the whole cost management process work through the project? Well, I think um, we, we we just dealt directly with the client uh, and, you know, it's, 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 from my point of view, I always want to try and, and, and get the client's trust uh, and have a good relationship so that that I can recommend what I think is best for them. So we normally start out with I see my job as trying to explain 
as simply as possible what all their options are and give them an understanding of all the pros and cons and give them the costs of these sort of things and then they can they can kind of make their choices on what they want to spend their money on i guess as, as the project proceeds and, and we we get a more in-depth relationship by the time we are um you know we've gone through the infrastructure bit we've got we've ordered the bits on the lighting things like that by the time we're in full swing of things and trying to nail down those final quotes like we had a great relationship the client trusted me and I, I had a good understanding of what their values were and what things i thought they would look back and think yeah i'm glad i spent money on that or oh, i got a bit overexcited and, and said yeah i really want the you know the top version of this whereas from my point of view i just want people to look back 12 months two years after they've moved in and think yeah i was given all the right advice there and we, and we spent the money wisely i'm glad they told me not to buy this and, and you know i'm glad they told me this was worth the extra money so by the time we get to that point and, and they really trusted that i was i was being considerate with their with their money i would make recommendations on what i think thought was the right thing for them and they would go great let's let's go for that so i think spending that first part of the job in, in sort of winning winning the trust and showing them that you really do have their best interests at heart and not just you know trying to trying to make make money and make more money than than might be appropriate then that's all i want to do i just want people mm. to look back and that's where jobs like this come from you know we we have all of our work pretty much comes either from existing relationships of, of, of people that we work with or uh clients recommending us to their friends because they had a great experience um, so if we can do that process and, and not have you know any dramas about about uh, you know people wishing they hadn't spent as much or anything like that, then that makes my life easier. So much the better. So talk to me about the lighting because that looked a, a fairly complicated lighting system that they've got. Yes. So the lighting uh, was uh, a learning experience for everyone. <laughs> so we we we've done. The, the client that, that recommended us on this on this project um, actually uh, has uh, is the lighting supplier. So they Tyson Lighting are are the company that basically they manufacture and um, also supply other types of fittings and things like that. They do a lot of commercial work, um, and they basically their lighting designs had a lot of when we started out had a lot of fittings which had the option for Dali lighting. So when we initially did our, our costings, we based everything on phase dimming. Uh, then when we started looking at the schemes, we said, well, actually, there's, there's, there's quite a bit of Dali lighting in here, which we would have to accommodate anyway. And, and we realized we could make some big savings if, on, on effectively the, the dimming hardware if we moved everything over to, to Dali lighting. So, um, you know, I don't know if people appreciate the differences between sort of Dali or 0 to 10 volts or, or phase dimming. I'm sure they do, but effectively, Dali lighting doesn't have individual circuits uh, defined by uh, the cables going out to the lights. So all of the light, all of the ballasts are addressable uh, and you can have up to 64 ballasts on a Dali loop. So previously where 64 um, lighting circuits would have taken you know dozens of, of, of modules um, we could have a single Lutron module which is a, a which has two Dali loops on it which could accommodate uh, up to 64 ballast per loop so we could we could drive potentially 128 light fittings from a single uh, Lutron Dali module um, and then we define the circuits uh, after installation effectively 
by uh, addressing all of the Darley ballasts and then deciding where we want to um, where we want the circuits to group together. And again, uh, I'm sure everyone understands how it works, but but in terms of how we tried to explain that to the client was if you've got uh, a commercial uh, large open plan space and they have 64 spotlights in the ceiling, you can define those as four lighting circuits but later on if, if they want to split that space up and add extra partition walls and things like that your lighting design can just be changed by by programming changes as opposed to having to define that by the way it's cabled so once we decided that um, Darley made sense from a cost point of view obviously there's some benefits to um, to the dimming curves and the actual performance from using Darley lighting as well so the ballasts are uh, given a permanent supply and then the actual ballast controls the, the dimming curve by the DALI uh, um, data that's, that's coming into there. So we basically, we were working with electricians who hadn't, hadn't done DALI before. So we, we tried to take on as much of the mental load as possible to try and make things as easy for them. So we, we worked with uh, the main contractor as well, who they were, you know, all over all over this as well, where we were trying to clearly define exactly how we thought everything was going to be wired. Uh, we obviously knew that all of the, the ballasts would need uh, access in future. So we started with the plans and we started going through and identifying locations where we could um, where we could put these Dali drivers so some lights would have a single light per ballast some ballasts would be able to drive two or three lights uh, and we we worked backwards with the with Tyson the lighting designers to say right okay what do we want to achieve uh, for the circuits and and then where can we put the ballasts are the ballasts close enough to the light fittings obviously some of the specifications come from the manufacturers so there might be you know might say you can only have five meters between the, the Dali ballast and the actual fitting and we worked backwards from that so there was lots of documentation involved we tried to be transparent that whilst we could offer uh, good savings on our side of things whereby the, the cost of the of the Lutron system would would come down quite a bit um, that we appreciated there would be extra costs probably incurred by uh, the main contractor for the electricians it's, it's a bit more of an involved process there um, but on on on, uh, on balance we knew that would there would be a good saving there and then in the middle of, um, you know, we'd already specified everything. Lutron actually made an upgrade to their um, to their Darley module, so it went from uh, having a limitation of 64 ballasts, but they could only be grouped into 16 circuits. They suddenly brought our universal Darley uh, device, which could have 64 circuits. So we we were specifying our we were making our quotation based on the number of circuits and effectively. Uh, dividing it by by uh, 32 so there'd be, there were two loops which could have 16 circuits per loop so each module would do 32 circuits I think we started out thinking we, we probably needed uh, 10 of the of the Darley modules and then and then Lutron came out with a piece of kit that effectively was the same price and I think we ended up we have two we've now got three we had two Darley modules in 
so we had one on, in the basement and one on a first floor panel so we had four four loops for the house so again we you know we saved we saved thousands of pounds for the clients there by um by being able to specify the, new, the newer newer equipment another challenge i think you faced was on the video distribution side so do you want to just talk us through that again we've done quite a few video over ip systems with uh with sort of the the crestron mbx uh, over over the last few years um which takes away the limitations we, we used to look at with um, matrixes and, and grouping it by eight or, or 16 outputs and, and trying to find that sort of sweet spot of, you know, ideally you don't want to specify uh, nine or 10 rooms because you're, you're jumping up to the next size of, of matrix. Um, in this case, though, there were nine video zones <laughs> that, we, they, that we thought were required. But at the same time, we, we were looking to potentially uh, make some savings on the video with with um, with sticking with a matrix based system so we initially came up with a way that I thought was a, a clever workaround whereby we would have uh, we would have one of the HD anywhere DSP signal managers which effectively is like a, a HDMI splitter but that would manage the Dolby Atmos signal so I, I cleverly thought we'll just use we'll just use a, use one of those for the two two main video sources, so the main Apple TV and the main Skybox, and and then the idea was to take the A output which had the Dolby Atmos into the AVR for the cinema, and the down mixed audio output from the uh, from the splitter into the eight eight by eight matrix, which would give us the other eight rooms of audio. And I think it was only when we actually came down to looking at the schematics and working out how that was going to work in practice that we realised we had sort of a, a fatal flaw in that, in that we had a second uh, a second room that used surround sound, um, which was going to use 5.1 audio for the, the snug. Uh, so we needed to retain the um, a Dolby Digital or an Atmos signal going into the video distribution. But we also had two older TVs, which were not old TV. You know, they, I think they were still 2019 TVs that the client had only recently purchased. But one of those couldn't do uh, a Dolby Atmos mix as well. So we had this combination of where we were stuck with only having one SkyQ box with a 4K signal. Uh, but we wanted to have Atmos for the cinema. So we, we designed a, a, a cinema with, um, with, uh, with Atmos. Uh, to make the most of the Atmos in the cinema, but at the same time we were struggling to understand what we could do to retain the Atmos for the cinema, have five one in a snug, and also have down mixed audio for for the individual rooms, because the the M Hub actually is configurable to um, down mix internally in the eight by eight matrix, and they have 3.5 mil stereo outputs, uh, which you can tie to to each of the sources. But it won't down mix Atmos. So again, we, we started. We went back to the drawing board and started thinking about how we could do this. And we were looking at. at I really didn't want to try and use split the signal too many times for all of the, uh, you know, inevitable HDCP issues we were going to cause. Um, and and it was probably only after all the way through this, I try and you know, I really got on with the clients and would try and educate them and explain them to what we were doing and what the problems we were having and, and try and work out things. I think it was then that said, well, we're not actually going to watch Sky in the cinema. We're just mainly going to use the Apple TV for, for Netflix or for purchase films and for, for Atmos and things in there. So 
we'd gone down this process of trying to work out how we could get uh, an Atmos signal that was potentially split and then taken an Atmos signal and down mix the, and, and we just went back to thinking being really simple and saying actually we'll will not have Atmos on the on the main Sky Sky Q box. Uh, so we just basically split that. We take uh, a, a surround sound signal, a Dolby digital signal on the main Sky box, which goes um, all around the property to all the TVs. They've got five one in, in the snug, so we've got a five one system with a with a separate uh, Anthem AVR in there. And we still give them uh, the Sky Q in in, uh, in surround sound if they want it in the cinema. But the the main thing they use in the cinema is the is a, a dedicated Apple TV, which we've set you know is, is on all the highest settings, matching content, and and they've got Atmos and and the films that they watch in there. So it all worked out in the end. But it was it was probably one of those things of of when we were originally doing quotes and think we're being clever by uh, being able to do a, a nine zone video distribution system that actually when you come to it in practice it's, it's sometimes not as easy mm. as that everything worked out in the end though yeah yeah it works great in the end yeah and i think you know there's there's things that potentially work on paper that i'm sure people appreciate don't necessarily always work in you know you, you can mm. you can do something on a schematic and say yes that's going to be great but there's always yeah, video distribution is one of the few things where uh, I'm so nervous about about doing anything too complicated or going through too many uh, signal paths because if we get something whereby we are getting video dropout or especially especially if we're not using you know I, I absolutely love uh, Crestron DM because of the um, the troubleshooting tools that it affords us and sometimes it's hard to explain to the client why it's worth spending that extra money on that because if there is a problem it will help us solve it quicker it's not necessarily mm. something they say well there shouldn't be a problem and that's why we try and keep those kind of things as simple as possible mm. um but yeah all, all works great in the end and how would you describe the overall installation what really makes you proud about it i guess what makes me proud is seeing that um that the clients who who you know started off saying we're, we're not really bothered about any of this stuff uh seeing them actually use everything you know we, we I go there it's 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 fairly close to me here and we go there we've done we've done a few upgrades if you like we've put external tv in in the in the summer um we went back to do some you know we added some extra things in that, that the clients had said in terms of integration with the air conditioning and and uh, and some of the stuff to do with the access control while we're waiting on things so i'm there fairly frequently and, and coming in and seeing that they've got playlists on and that you know they've got their daughters there who is three years old and says Stephen's come to fix the TV and she is using the Crestron handheld remote to you know we we used Oliver's um, Apple TV drivers on the Crestron home to be able to automatically launch YouTube so uh, we gave her her own YouTube button so she she can grab a remote control and she puts YouTube on in the, on the playroom TV and it's just that's that's the best bit is is seeing people actually use it because a lot of this stuff can look great on paper but if if people don't actually use any of it then you feel like you feel like you shouldn't shouldn't have, have, uh, have necessarily sold everything to them but um but yeah they, they love it and they they use it every day what would you say would be your biggest learnings from this project we definitely learned a lot about the uh about dali so i think probably you know one of the things that will admit that we uh we had problems with was actually um implementing the uh the the dali lighting system so we've done it before and we've done it uh, in what was probably uh ideal conditions uh and what had happened there was 
we designed everything we had um we had the electrician did all their part of it so the way that again going back to some of the technical details of dali is the way it works is that the ballasts get a, a permanent live supply and without any sort of programming or anything done like that if you you turn power onto a dali ballast it lights the light circuit up so the electricians can wire everything and they can use the breakers to turn on and off their supply to the dali ballasts so in that case they wired everything they had everything there and we then came in when everything was finished and basically went through a process with with the lutron where it effectively if you've got say you've got 20 ballasts on a loop it will flash one of those ballasts and you will identify it as being part of the circuit and you work your way through you address all 20 and then you've got them there and you can create your circuits from there uh, on this job we kind of said right that's how we want it to work but it was obviously getting closer and closer to uh, handover day and work was still ongoing uh, and i think on our next job with Dali, we'll stand our ground and say, no, it all has to be completed before we come in and do our bit. But we probably, uh, <laughs> it was sort of misadventured in saying that, okay, look, we'll, we'll start addressing things even though, even though work's carrying on. And one of the things that sort of caught us out was the uh, self-healing nature of, of Dali systems. So again, going back to that commercial example where you might have 64 spotlights, which have all been addressed on the Dali system, if a Dali ballast dies, you can uh, send any electrician down to swap that out for a new Dali ballast. Uh, and what the what the system does is it, it says, oh, hang on, there's there's a there's a, a ballast disappeared. When the new one gets installed, it says, oh, there's a new ballast here. It must have been the one that died. So it basically readdresses that ballast, and and you don't have to do any more programming. And where we uh, started getting confused was that we basically addressed certain sections of the house uh, and then we'd be moving around and then uh, another day we'd come to it and we'd try and control that section of the house and other areas of the house were suddenly controlling as well uh, and what had been happening is that because there was uh, multiple electricians working on the job at once we had certain areas where um, they were cutting the power to ballasts that had already been addressed at the same time as installing other ballasts on the same loop in other areas. So the system was basically seeing that some ballasts had disappeared and new ones were appearing and it was basically giving the new, new ballasts the addresses of the old ones. They would then turn the power back onto that, that area and we'd suddenly have two ballasts with, uh, with the same address. Um, and what if we kind of figured out, then, you know, we had the light bulb moment and went, oh gosh, that's right, that's what's happening. We were then in the situation where we couldn't unaddress ballast. So, um, you know, we worked with Lutron Technical and there wasn't actually a way to, we'd think, right, well, we'll turn, we'll turn one ballast off and we'll use Lutron to unaddress, change the address on this one, turn it back on. And they would just stay grouped together. We were, we were banging our heads against the wall. We actually ended up uh, buying a third party piece of equipment that, that gave us a lot more uh, visibility and flexibility in terms of the addressing. So one of the biggest things we've learned is, is sort of uh, standing our ground on, on sort of the right way to do things rather than trying to be accommodating on those kind of things. But also, you know, we, we learned a lot of technical, uh, a lot of technical skills about, about these kind of things. So I think, you know, we're certainly experts on, on how to deploy that kind of system in future and, and what pitfalls to avoid. Every project is a learning curve. Yeah, and like, I, you know, I don't want to pretend we know everything and we'll, we'll be honest with these things that, that if it's if it's things that we're doing for the first time, you know, ideally, 
I'd like to try things out at home, but I couldn't install Dali at home <laughs> and find those things out. And sometimes the only way you, you, you sort of learn is to have a problem and, and fix it. And, you know, obviously we won't do that again. <laughs> and how does the client feel about the system? How have they described their experience of using it? I think the clients are really pleased with the system and I think they are uh, probably surprised at how much they've ended up uh, using all the assorted systems and, and, and what we've managed to uh, what we've managed to achieve. You know, if we'd have, if we'd have told them what they'd be using with with sort of playing all the music in different rooms and, and, and having parties where they've got playlists on that everyone can come and join and share and, and basically that their their daughter would be controlling the TV herself and putting things on. I, I think they would have probably thought it was it was a sales pitch to try and try and sell more stuff, you know, when we when we had that first meeting a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, they, the systems just work with their lifestyles, and, and we've tried to tailor some clever bits of programming to do with you know things that happen when the alarms are set, when the alarms are unset. Um, we actually just I just spoke to to uh, the client this morning because he was saying they'd really like to have something where they've got uh, a single button that opens one of the gates and opens the, the garage door because they're finding they're they're leaving the 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 buggy for their their youngest child. In, the, in a porch and he said oh actually it'd be really handy if when we bust through to the side gate if that also opened the garage then we'll also just what so we're actually trying to do things that improve their lives and they know now that they can ask me questions about oh we've got this little little sort of small quality of life improvement we can think about is there anything you can do to to help with that and I think those are the great things that these kind of systems can bring as opposed to the the, the flashy uh, showy integrations that maybe look good on paper or are great for the first month of living there and you show off to all your friends and then never use again. Mm, exactly. Finally, tell me about the awards that the project's won from Cedia. How do you feel about those? Anytime we go to the awards, uh, at the Cedia Awards, I always try and, and by the time we get there, I'm convinced we haven't a chance because I, I like to, I don't want to feel disappointed at the end of it. So we try, I try and talk myself into thinking we've got no chance and I know we weren't really sure who we were up against, but when, when we saw the uh, the shortlist going through and we saw some of the pictures of, of the other projects, you know, I looked at Chris who was there with and we just kind of shook our heads and thought, wow, we've, we've, we've no chance because they look amazing. So to come away with four awards on, on the night was, you know, incredibly humbling and, and uh, uh, it was a, it was an amazing evening. We we certainly weren't expecting anything like that, and you know just really proud. And it's 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 sort of a testament to all the hard work. And, and I have to say as well, you know, working with the lighting designers and winning winning an award for the for the lighting side of things, working with the interior designer and getting the design meets technology. It's everyone's everyone's been obviously over the moon about it. It's been been brilliant. Excellent. Well, thanks, Stephen. A fascinating project and a, a really genuinely worthy award winner too. So congratulations. If you enjoyed this show, then please follow us on Instagram at Integrated HomePod, Twitter at IntHomePod and Facebook and LinkedIn at The Integrated Home Podcast. The Integrated Home is brought to you with the support of AWE, Sony and distributed by Meridian. We are a Wildwood production. The Integrated Home supports Together for Cinema. Together for Cinema is an AV industry movement that designs and installs cinema rooms in children's hospices across the UK. In these special places, children, 
their families, staff and volunteers are now enjoying fantastic movie experiences together. We want to build more rooms in more hospices for more children. To do that we need your help. Visit togetherforcinema.co.uk and find out how you can be involved to help make short lives that little bit better.